the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The world is a complicated place. You need someone to expose the political fakers, fixers, and takers, and to cut through the mindless chatter and misdirection to help you make sense of it all. That person is Dan Proft, and this is The Dan Proft Show. Welcome to The Dan Proft Show. Thank you for joining us on this Monday edition. Follow us at danproftshow.com, podcast of the program there, as well as on Spotify and iTunes. And on social media, at Dan Prof Show. So uh, yesterday evening, President Trump delivered his much-anticipated speech at CPAC. And uh, he made very clear at the outset that uh, he doesn't want to be the leader of the new party. He uh, aims to continue to be the leader of the party to which he currently affiliates. You know, they kept saying, he's going to start a brand new party. We have the Republican Party. It's going to unite and be stronger than ever before. I am not starting a new party. That was fake news. Fake news. And uh, not only does he want to be the uh, leader of the party while it's out of power and help the party get back into power, it may, four years down the road, include him, of course, being a good showman, left the uh, prospect of uh, another presidential candidacy open. Who knows? I may even decide to beat them for a third time, okay? (laughs) For a third time. But in between now and that decision, he made it clear that he is going to work with Kevin McCarthy in particular to ensure Republicans take back the House in 22. The Democrats don't have grandstanders like Mitt Romney, Little Ben Sass, Richard Burr, Bill Cassidy, Susan Collins. And that's why Lisa I'm announcing that I will be actively working to elect strong, tough and smart Republican leaders. So he's not going away. And and among the topics that he covered that I think were of most interest to the crowd, in addition to a review of the achievements of his administration and the failures already of the Biden administration, or at least, you know, failures from a conservative perspective, the radical uh, nature of the Biden policies to this point, uh, he tackled the question of election integrity. We have a very sick and corrupt electoral process that must be fixed immediately. This election was rigged, and the Supreme Court and other courts didn't want to do anything about it. They should be ashamed of themselves for what they've done to our country. They didn't have the guts or the courage to make the right decision. They didn't want to talk about it. And President Trump outlined some of the things that need to be done at the state level, starting with this. We need one election day, not 45, 30. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Scott McKay. He's the publisher of The Hayride and contributor to American Spectator. Scott, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. So uh, before we get to some of the specific topics covered uh, with the election integrity issue at the top of uh, my discussion list, your overall impression of the uh, speech that President Trump delivered? Well, I, it was, I mean, it was 
a classic Donald Trump speech. I thought it was a little bit more contentious toward the, you know, Republican establishment than I expected. Um, I kind of thought that there would be a little bit of a uh, rapprochement that, that the speech sought, but he went the exact opposite way. I mean, he was calling people by name um, and, you know, talked about the primary challenges a little bit to some of these people that uh, voted for impeachment. And, you know, obviously that was going to happen, but I kind of felt like he would downplay that. And I I was wrong on that because uh, it was sort of a full on uh, war uh, that he launched against his critics within the party, um, which is not unjustified, by the way. I mean, he's right. got 90 percent support within the party, and it wouldn't be a, an, an unjustified thing if Trump were to say, OK, I'm going to finish these guys off. Well, um, and, and also, too, I mean, he, you know, he did provide a, a explanation for uh, effectively an explanation for naming the names, which is to say, you know, you can't turn the party back over to these guys, and I'm going to to to, to this profile of Republican, and I'm going to work to uh, elect Republican leaders that uh, want to advance the policies we advanced during my time as president, which is, you know, as you say, right. not an illegitimate position. No, and, and and I think that I mean clearly that was the purpose for the speech. I mean, you know, what made headlines is oh, you know, Trump opened the door to running in 2024 and all this kind of stuff, but you know, that was not. I mean, I think he did that to maybe get some headlines, but the big issue uh, that he was pushing in that speech is, you know, I'm bringing money, I'm bringing energy, and I'm bringing, you know, rhetoric to the fight where we're going to consolidate the Republican Party behind the MAGA slash America First agenda. And that needed to be done because, you know, even some of these – you know, Bill Cassidy goes on CNN uh, the morning before Trump gives the speech yesterday, and he starts talking about how oh, our policies are fine, but we can't idolize one man. And that is so out of touch with the I mean, 90 percent of the party is behind Trump. And it's not because they're behind Trump's tweets. They're behind Trump because Trump took the Republican Party in a direction that was different from that of the Republican establishment and was successful with it. Now, you can make the argument that, you know, Trump alienated some voters that he would have otherwise had and then the election couldn't have been stolen or, you know, lost or however you want to describe it. And we can have that discussion, but in terms of the agenda that Trump is going to push whether he's going to make a return to elective politics or not, There's very little difference among Republicans in favor of that agenda. Well, the thing sort of um, where I think you're getting at when somebody like Bill Cassidy says, oh, there's not much disagreement that the politics or the policies, it's just a matter of cult of personality politics. That's where we have some disagreement when uh, people hear someone like Bill Cassidy or Liz Cheney say that. They don't believe them on the policy side. They trust Trump on the policy side because he did or pursued what he said he would. And these other Republicans say that, that I'm just, you know, not I'm just above cult of personality politics. But they're just using that as a cover to surrender on issues from border security to, you know, the rest of the the full panoply of conservative issues. 
No, that's exactly right. And, and, and it's the reason why it took someone like Trump to come along and, and shake up that establishment. Um, and, and, you know, these guys are just perpetually out of touch with their own constituents. And, and that never changes for some reason. Um, you know, and I think some of it is just there's sort of a personality type that Republican voters used to ask uh, ask for when it came to, you know, who do you, who are you going to elect? And I, that has changed. Uh, I think because Trump showed Republican voters that there was something different and better that they could have. And it wouldn't just be these, you know, like Ross Perot used to call them the blow dried guys. Right. Um, I, you know, and I mean, it was the John Thunes and Bill Cassidy's and Pat Toomey's and these, you know, kind of stuffed shirt guys that that like to play the Washington Generals versus the Democrats, Harlem Globetrotters, in in, in uh, on Capitol Hill every day. Um, you did, you know, you don't have to have that anymore. Trump showed that you can win by actually having a little spice in your gumbo, right? And uh, I, I don't know that people will go back to a Bill Cassidy or a Liz Cheney or whatever because. They don't agree with those guys. They know that corporate donors are going to be behind all of the policy decisions as they were before Trump came along. Oh. Um, and so, you know, like, oh, they're, they're, now they're going to try to claim Trump's policy wins as their own. And to do that, you have to have a certain amount of credibility with the voting base, which you do not have. So, I, you know, I, that's going to fall flat and – I, you know, I don't know what to advise a Cheney or a Cassidy because I think they've done some, themselves so much damage it's going to be fatal at this point. And I think it's a matter of time before all these guys get beat. You know, Adam Kinzinger was on Twitter yesterday after Trump's speech talking about how low energy and whiny it was. <laughs> and I mean, what happened to him on Twitter after he popped off and said that <laughs> was not – Pleasant. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah, you know, it's like precisely it's like you really should shut up right now and let things kind of cool off because all you're doing is just fanning these flames and, not to and, you not, know, not, and making it so you have no future in politics. Not to mention you're exposing yourself as the one who is making this personal and not policy oriented, despite what you're suggesting, it, 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 you know, is the case. How is saying that, which is which doesn't square with the reality that everybody witnessed? How, but it, but setting that aside, how does how is that substantive? How is that about policy and restoring the principles of the Republican Party and all the other uh, twaddle that you hear from Republicans like Kinzinger these days? Uh, when we come back, I want to I, yeah. I want to get to what uh, President Trump had to say about uh, unrigging the elections, starting with uh, the need for a single election day. We'll have more with Scott McKay, publisher of the Hay Ride, contributor to the American Spectator. Right after this. Grab a good seat and sharpen your pencils. Class is in session with Professor Dan Proft and the Dan Proft Show. Welcome back to the show. We're speaking with Scott McKay. He's the publisher of The Hayride, as well as a contributor to The American Spectator. And before the break, uh, we started to touch upon Trump's remarks about uh, the 2020 election and the reforms that need to happen going forward. Interestingly and importantly, there's a case the Supreme Court is uh, taking up tomorrow, an Arizona case that deals with some of the issues raised by Trump and many others. 
the uh, mandate to vote in the precinct in which you live, the prohibition against uh, uh, bundling of absentee ballots. Uh, in addition to saying President Trump uh, harvesting, I guess is the term that's used most often. Uh, Trump, in addition to saying we need one election day, not 30 days, not 45 days. He also, in terms of his laundry list for states, uh, absentee balloting needs to have a reason. There should be universal signature check. There should be eliminated mass mail-in. There should be voter ID. Um, all those seem particularly sensible. And in addition to whatever the court decides in that Arizona case, this is really ultimately going to be a test of the courage, I guess, of, if you want to use that word, of Republicans at the state level in places like Wisconsin and Michigan and Arizona and Georgia and the like. Right, Scott? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I've said really since the election um, and I, 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 you know, wrote a couple of things, both at my site and also at the American Spectator talking about this is look in 2021. The Republican Party's chief priority, um, you know, over everything else, is at the state level, and number one is to pass the most ag- aggressive election reform uh, packages imaginable. Um, and Trump talked about pretty much all of that stuff. I mean, I would add things like biometric voter ID and, um, you know, and all of these blockchain technology to, to do vote counting and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, but and then the other piece is obviously redistricting, which. I noticed that the census is going a lot slower than it was supposed to be, which is going to delay redistricting. And I don't know if the, the, the plan here is to try to delay it so that it can't encompass the 2022 elections, because just based on migration patterns, Republicans are going to pick up anywhere from six to 10 seats in the House just based on redistricting. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why Kevin McCarthy states gaining. Yeah. Red states gaining popularity or population, blue states losing them, um, yeah, which is why Kevin McCarthy is willing to literally bet his house. He said his personal house, not the house on the Republicans taking back the house in 2022. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, you're going to retake the house. The question is, you know, like, what will the Democrats do in order to try to hold on to it? And I think that there are no limits to that. Um, so those two things are like a very, very big deal that need to be pushed this year. Trump's not really talking about the redistricting part yet. Um, my guess is, is that, you know, when the census gets finished, you'll begin to hear some of that from him and his pack and, and, and his allies. You know, but he is talking about the election reform part. And, you know, because that's coming up. I mean, you know, there are legislative sessions getting started across the country. And it's this is the number one thing that Republican legislatures are going to have to address because, you know, talk to a typical Republican voter. And there is this sense out there that, well, you know, they've corrupted the elections process and will never have another fair election in America. And it's all over, which is not something that you can have. If you're the Republican Party, you can't have your own voters thinking that democracy is dead. And so clearly the way that you have to address that is you've got to go out and pass laws. So, I, you know, I think this is going to be a very, very big push. I don't know what all of these changes are going to look like. I'm sure they'll probably vary from state to state. But you're going to see an all out war conducted against this mail in balloting. I, I, you know, that's something that you really just can't call yourself a Republican legislator without doing something about it. 
Uh, on another topic of lessons learned and the implications for 20, 2022 and beyond and how Republicans are going to message as well as battle in the policy arena over this is the COVID response. And uh, Christy uh, Nome uh, made it uh, very clear what her view is, the uh, rising star in the party, the governor of South Dakota. And she, she made a couple of statements during her speech at CPAC that I think were particularly salient in terms of you know, presenting the understanding as well as the choice. Now, let me be clear. COVID didn't crush the economy. Government crushed the economy. She also, uh, per South Dakota being the only state that never closed a business, never closed a church, never closed a school, uh, had this to say about essentially first principles, her philosophy with respect to the decisions that were made to, to respond to COVID in South Dakota. Now, in South Dakota, I provided all of the information that we had to our people, and then I trusted them to make the best decisions for themselves, for their families, and in turn, their communities. We never focused on the case numbers. Instead, we kept our eye on hospital capacity. Now, Dr. Fauci, he told me that on my worst day, I'd have 10,000 patients in the hospital. On our worst day, we had a little over 600. Now, I don't, I don't know if you agree with me, but Dr. Fauci is wrong a lot. Mm, and uh, another rising star in the Republican Party, Governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, who was the host since it was Orlando, speaking at CPAC, had this to say, sort of consistent with where Christy Nome was going. And what's true in Florida is true for conservatives across the nation. We cannot, we will not go back to the days of the failed Republican establishment of yesteryear. And Scott, these are two sort of bold governors, rising stars in the party that are suggesting that sort of the mealy mouthed appeasement of the super state in D.C. is not where the Republican Party is going to be. It's, it has there's no philosophy consistent with uh, uh, that sort of appeasement and uh, and and as well as uh, paying deference to the expert autocrats like Tony Fauci. Well, I mean, I think that. What you just played was Generation X taking over the Republican Party. I mean, yeah. I, you know, Ron DeSantis and Christy Nome are at this point the, the, the probably the best exemplars of what a Generation X led GOP is going to look like. It, it, it doesn't uh, doesn't respect the old line GOP establishment. It's not seeking bipartisanship with a left who absolutely hates it um, and, you know, and, and is willing to say what needs to be said and is not interested in, you know, preserving things that don't work. Um, I, Trump, I, I think, to some extent, has elements of a Gen X politician. Um, and I think that that maybe is, is part of his charm. You know, he's going to be 78 in 2024. Uh, which, you know, I, I'm thinking is probably a little old uh, to carry it. Now, Trump conducts himself as a much younger man than his age um, and has an energy that, you know, for somebody his age, you don't often see. Um, but, I, you know, DeSantis Nome 2024, I, I think that's a dream ticket. If you take Trump off the board, I, I would say if you presented that ticket to two thirds of the Republican Party right now, they would take it and not look back. 
I would definitely be in that two-thirds, I'll tell you that. Scott McKay, publisher at The Hayride and uh, contributor to The American Spectator. Scott, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Take care. Political fakers, fixers, and takers. He's Dan Proft, and this is The Dan Proft Show.